Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 376 of the podcast. It is July 14th, 2020. Joining me today is Lauren Heisey. She is a continuous improvement coach and consultant at her firm, Lauren Heisey Consulting. Before becoming a consultant, Lauren worked for AT&T and Nielsen in various technical and Lean Six Sigma roles. She has a BA in political science and government and an MBA. You can learn more about Lauren and, and find links to her website and her bio and more by going to the show notes at leanblog.org slash 376. So today we're talking about the interface and the overlap between concepts like Lean, Six Sigma, and artificial intelligence. Why do companies need to avoid jumping to solutions, including technology solutions, like robotic process automation? Why does the respect for people principle of Lean, coming from Toyota, mean that we shouldn't focus on replacing people with technology? I hope you enjoy the conversation, whether you're listening here or watching. You can also find this on uh, my YouTube channel if you search for M. Graben. Um, either way, if you enjoy uh, the podcast, uh, please do uh, consider uh, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Thank you. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mark? Doing all right. Thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, if you, I always try to let the guests just go ahead. Uh, if you can introduce yourself and, and tell the audience about your background to get things started. Yeah, definitely. So I'm Lauren Heisey. Um, I guide businesses and our business owners and leaders to rapidly and efficiently get from point A to point B so they can see real results and feel empowered. Um, I've been doing continuous improvement for 13 years. I coach, consult, been an internal consultant at AT&T and Nielsen. And I've also taught uh, Lean Six Sigma at the at Nielsen. And I also taught it at the University of South Florida down in, in Tampa. And, you know, how, I'm always curious, how and when did you get introduced to continuous improvement? I first got introduced when I was getting my MBA. Um, but then shortly after I got my MBA about a year later, um, AT&T was rolling out their Lean Six Sigma program and I was in the second wave and um, my VP at the time just thought I would be a really good addition to that program. So that's how I got started. Yeah. And, and what, what was, I mean, what, what kind of drew you in? Because some people get introduced to it and it doesn't really resonate with them. What, what was your... Um, what got me introduced into it was, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different, there's a, um, there's, there's a few different reasons, but the main reason is the continuous improvement mindset. So it's not just going in and fixing processes, but it's also developing that mindset for the organization that you're working with to continuously improve um, as we go into, as they move into the future. And then the other part of it was the data analysis. Um, I hadn't worked in data analysis for a little while before that, but um, I always liked data analysis and statistics. So it just kind of, the two just meshed really well together. So that's what got me in. Yeah. And, um, you know, for, for the audience, you know, Lauren and I first, I, I think we really got introduced through um, a LinkedIn group that I had set up here at the beginning of, yes. uh, you know, the pandemic work from home era of, of consultants who, um, you know, are stuck at home. So you, you've been in that mode for a little while as well, right? Yes, I have been. Yes. Yeah. It's been what, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, have, 
are there certain adaptations that you've made if you've been able to support people remotely um, in different ways or? Yeah, so um, I, I've done we're done remote work in the past, but now it's, I think it's becoming, it's going to become an, an even bigger thing. Um, one of the things I've had to do was switch, um, was switch around how I network and meet with people. So one of the things that um, was interesting was trying to figure out how do you network online um, and make it a, and make an attempt to do it. And it, it's starting to turn out really well. So I've been doing uh, what's called, um, a hundred lunches or a hundred meeting a hundred different new people. And um, that's one way of, I decided to challenge myself to network and meet new people. And then as far as consulting or coaching online, um, coaching is very easy to do online. If you're doing continuous improvement, you can work with that business owner or business leader over the phone. But then when it comes to consulting and morning workshops, it's a little bit different than doing it online. So um, I've been trying to help, businesses or speak with them to understand what's what are their needs for right now and then provide some a guidance that way yeah. until we can start getting back face to face. But I still think that even it's gonna be a while before a lot of face to face is gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a lot to figure out. For us, our our clients or organizations out there are trying to figure out what um, this new way of working is, if it's if it's temporary, if it's a new normal or Certainly, new challenges in addition to the challenges organizations are. Yes, facing. definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of big challenges. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're going to focus today. Um, you know, usually the podcast focuses you know very heavily on the lean methodology, but you have backgrounds with um, Lean Six Sigma, and we have an opportunity to to learn um, about what organizations are also doing. Um, we're going to introduce might be some new acronyms or I've heard these acronyms and um, don't really know much. So, um, you know, we taught you, you talk about AI and, and RPA. Um, I think maybe those go hand in hand, but Lauren, I'll let you have the floor since you have some yeah. knowledge to share with us. So yeah, AI is, is artificial intelligence. So think of your Alexa, think of, of Siri on your phone. We use AI every day. And then, um, and then RPA is robotic process automation, which then, which is a part of AI. So if you also think about, uh, there's also a component called machine learning or any type of automation that's all going to be encompassed into artificial intelligence. And a lot of times people just think um, of artificial intelligence or the robots um, in a warehouse. So think of Amazon, you know, having the robots do the picking and picking and picking the items off the shelf and then putting them into boxes. That's going to be your typical robot. But a lot of times when it comes to artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's going to be software based and that works really hand in hand with, um, with any type of the service industries. Um, when I worked at Nielsen, we used a lot of, um, automation to instead of um, a human doing a manual tax over and over again like so think of a standardized task over and over again once uh, we were able to standardize the task we just then put it, um, a robot into place and it runs the scripts and it does all the automation for you and then as it starts to learn that automation really well then you can introduce machine learning where it eventually learns a little bit more about that task and it evolves and that's kind of where the RPA comes into play as well. 
And, and, and so just to make sure I'm on the same page, RPA, when you talk about robotic, it's, it's, it's software robotics. It's, it's software robotics, yes, yes. And, and so different business processes. Like what, what are some examples of some electronic um, processes that could be automated in this RPA? Oh, yeah. So one of them is um, taking a, one, a good example. I worked with a, with a past client was taking data that they had coming in from their clients and then putting it into a database. So when we first started looking at that process to improve it, we standardized, you know, the template that the clients used to send the data in. And then we standardized how the person would take it from the, the Excel spreadsheet or the template and putting into the database. So once that was all standardized and it was always repeatable, then what we did is we took that, that manual task and we set up a robot to basically go and do that. So basically when you're looking at a screen, you could see the robot running in the background doing all of that for you with why you can go do some other work. So it's just basically like taking an Excel spreadsheet the data and then putting it into a database. That's something very simple. Um, another one is knowing that I had a, another um, client that I worked with that they wanted to improve their onboarding for their for their uh, client. So it, their onboarding process is pretty bad. One of the things we did there is we there's two things that we did there where we had um, we created a standardized template to be used at the beginning of the process and then it was used throughout the entire process. But we uh, put in, you can put pokey oak or air proofing right into that template. And, um, and that's where some of the smart automation comes in in the background. So if you choose one option, then your next options underneath are going to be are going to be predetermined based on your first selection. So that's just like some simple things that happened there. Um, another thing is if you have predictive analysis that you want to do, for a client, so um, I saw this, we, we did this at Nielsen, where we did some predictive analysis for a client that wanted to see um, sales from one area of the United States. So we started, it's, the robot started collecting the data automatically by itself, um, we, you know, once you programmed it, and then um, it was able to do some predictive analysis, something, it's some simple statistics, but, the, but it had algorithms built into its into its process robot processes to come up with that predictive analysis so you didn't have to have someone sitting there doing that so they could do some um, more um, advanced work mm-hmm. and and so when organizations are looking to um, you know automate a process like this do some large organizations have an in-house team or are they working with outside vendors typically to set this up it's probably going to be both. So um, if it's a bigger organization, they're most likely um, going to have, especially if they're just starting out on their program, they're going to have um, some vendors come in because there's some vendors that do have some um, products where you can just drop and put it in. But one of the things I'm finding is that sometimes those um, standard products need to be um need to be set up specifically for the client. So while you might have something standard, it still needs to be some customization there. So it's going to be, um, I've seen it both where they just use the vendor and drop it in. Um, I've seen it where um, I have another consulting firm that I was working with. They're, they're big on setting up um, a lot of the RPA and, and machine learning and working with them to make sure the processes were right. And then they were specifically building the robots mm-hmm. in automation specifically for the client. 
So it really depends on the client and the needs. So it's, like I said, it's a combination of both where I've seen it in-house, where all completely in-house or they're using vendors or they're using completely outside help. Yeah. So I think it's interesting, you know, to try to make connections between lean principles and lean practice with some of these technologies. Um, you know, when, when you're talking about um, standardizing and, and automating or making a routine out of a process, to me, this, that sounds like standard work. And right. then the machine learning piece, if I hear you right, machine learning is, seems like a form of continuous improvement where the algorithms and the yeah. software um, are not just... Um, following the same algorithm over and over again, they're improving the algorithm. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So the machine is learning for that specific, for that specific part of the process, they are continuing learning and, and continuously improving. So um, that's one of the things I think sometimes people, our cultures get really scared of using machines or, or um, using the process, lean six Sigma with it. I think the two go hand in hand because um Machine learning and AI is just another form of continuous improvement. It will make um, our lives better, but make our work a lot better for us. Well, I mean, I, I could see an argument to be made for eliminating um, work that's uh, sort of, you know, drudgery, um, yes. really highly repetitive work. And, and like to me, a lean organization that's embracing these technologies, you would maybe follow the example of Toyota, where we're not looking to replace humans with technology, but the work that is done by people may shift. Um, exactly. We, we would be committed to those people and, and not lay them off because of automation, but invest in them. Um, they, they may um, get upskilled in some way to, to where now they're doing more creative work where the, the more routine work is left to the automation. That's exactly how I like to approach it. So whenever I go in and start talking to a client, I usually say we're not going to think about replacing the workforce it's more of we're doing a shift so that your workforce can do what they really need to be doing a good example of that is i was working with um another client where they had um, launched a new product but the product never left product leadership or product marketing it, it never moved into operations once you moved it into operations the people in product leadership and development were able to start focusing on what they're supposed to be doing. So it's basically, if you think about it, putting the work in the right place. So that's another, you know, lean, the way I think about lean thinking is putting the work in the right place and um, really developing your, developing your people and developing your culture. Mm -hmm. and, and, and one other connection that you mentioned was, you know, of course, the idea of pokey oak or um, mistake proofing, um, having that mindset of, you know, whoever's designing the automation, has got to think how to build in, um, or you know, maybe just by the nature of uh, ro you know, robotic automation being very, very consistent, um, hopefully that is um, eliminating you know, some sources of error. Um, and, you know, and I think if, you know, if we're asking people to do very highly repetitive work, it, it's just natural that error would creep in um, yes. just due to our, our limitations in terms of um, focus and attention. Um, it's, you know, recognizing human nature, not blaming people exactly. for their mistakes. I, you know, I think there's a fine line there. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, um, like I saw um, yesterday on LinkedIn, someone, another uh, continuous improvement coach or and consultant put out that um, 
if we could do work right the first time instead of doing rework so that's where like you said the human nature so like that's like the data the, like building out databases um, Nielsen's all big about building out databases and, and doing predictive analysis for their clients and that's one of the things within that corporation um, by getting rid of that repetitive task taking that away from the human to allow them to really concentrate on the job and by building out those databases and letting the machine do it um, it took out that human error it, it really it really did and so when they when you do work right the first time that takes out all of your rework mm -hmm. and which then cuts down on cycle time and cuts down on defects yeah yeah so um what are your thoughts or what, what are you seeing um you know in the context here of the current pandemic um, changing where and how people are working there are the economic um, challenges associated with the pandemic um, are, are there any trends that you see related to um, ai rpa machine learning within organizations and processes yeah i'm seeing a big push or a big talk about let's um let's do this now instead of later so that digital transformation of all the organizations is always um was always on the radar but i think we're going to start seeing it um especially toward the end of the year and early into next year happening a lot faster because we don't like with the pandemic we are trying to have more people work remotely or we want to lessen how many people are in the office and that's where some of the times the technology does help but um i always caution i hate to caution um all businesses and organizations not while it's while you need to be fast you can there's there's a point where you are moving too fast so if your process is really not that great if it's if, I'm serious, if it's just terrible, you're all the technology is going to do is going to show you how bad that process is. Um, I think there was a quote by Edward Deming that says, um, "Was it a bad system will beat a person every time? If you take out the person and put a bad system will be um, uh, will be the AI every time. It's the same. It's the same exact concept here. So one of the things that I always caution organizations that just want to throw the tool the new shiny tools at the process i was asked what it, is your process repeatable is it the same time every time someone does it um are you do you have a lot of defects are you having a lot of reworks and if i get yes if i get yes to a lot of defects and a lot of reworks and i said we first you just need to look at the the process first get that perfect as you as perfect as you can and then implement the technology yeah, to me, that's very familiar lean thinking, you know, this idea of don't automate a broken process, I think exactly. is true in manufacturing settings or, you know, there are certain healthcare settings, for example, hospital laboratories where there had been, unfortunately, you know, going back 15 or more years ago, um, labs would automate a bad layout. And so like, instead of changing the layout in, in, in a way that would reduce the need for um, conveyors and automation and track systems, you know, so, you know, they're, they're with the, when they're automating a bad process, they're layering cost and sometimes adding time very. on top of what was already happening. So um, very, very true. Great lesson there, whether it's an electronic process. Um, I, I can think of, you know, example of, let's say, um, you know, filling out paperwork for uh, a doctor's office or my wife and I are in the context of uh, we're, we're in the middle of, of uh, a relocation, so my gosh, the paperwork. So I think of business yes. processes, these are good problems to have. 
but um, related to, to mortgages and home buying and, you know, filling out the same information on multiple pieces of paper. If, if that's converted to PDFs, now I'm, I'm typing in the same information into multiple documents or multiple pages of a document. That's not a great technology, technological leap. It's um, not. If, you know, if, um, you know, the, uh, if the PDF doesn't have enough space to fill in your email address, the field just isn't wide enough on the document, that's no better than a paper form that doesn't have uh, enough space. So there, there are still, it seems like, questions of design and waste elimination um, that, that need to go into any sort of automated or, or technology-enhanced process. There, there is, there is very much so. I mean, like I said, I, I, I did see an organization last year that started to implement the AI and technology way too fast, and they took the most complex process. What you're describing, what you're describing, is a very is in my mind is, is a simpler process, and that's where you usually start start with filling out those forms. So if you're filling out your name on five or six different forms, why can't you just fill it out on one form and then it be populated across all the databases? Right. There's no reason why that can't be done. The same with doctor offices. I know, um, as you know, I've been to the doctors a couple of times since all of this started, and they're asking you the same questions over and over again. Now I get that we need to, that they're going to have to take your temperature every time, but to, to ask you the same questions over and over again, maybe if we could do that online for where you can get into the office, would save um, the nurse's time, the customer's time, just, yeah, just simple things just um, that can be implemented just with the help, with, with some yeah. help. Well, so there, there's a lot of that transformation taking place um, in healthcare right now. As, as you were talking about some of these technologies being accelerated, I think the same is true in healthcare when it comes to, um, you know, your smartphone app yes. to go, you know, to check in online and fill out answer some of those questions and some of that information uh, from the relative safety of your home or from the parking lot. Exactly. There, there are, um, you, know, uh, you know, I know of examples where they're not just like, well, you know, they're rethinking patient flow in ways that might just be good practice moving forward, where if you're in yes. an environment where patients are arriving by car, now we have to be careful about exceptions if someone's being dropped off or, arriving right. via Uber or public transportation. But, you know, there are some settings where, um, you know, there's an opportunity to rethink and to use technology where a patient can check in from their car and stay in the safety secluded environment of their car until they're ready to be brought back to an exam room and they can get a, a, a message. It might be automated that says, we're ready for you now. Please come inside um, use hand sanitizer um, at the door and uh, immediately go back to room eight. Exactly, exactly. It, and, it, and I think this is a time where I think businesses can can develop these good processes. So it's one, it's not just for the safety. It's not just for safety, but I think overall when it comes down to customer satisfaction, um, I think this is a really good time for us to take that, to, to take a really hard look at some of those processes because we're going to have to develop some new ones and, or develop a new way we start and then add that onto the old processes. So if we can make that as seamless as possible, I think uh, overall the customers are happy, your employees will be happier. Um, and then at the, end, at the end of the day, even though we, we're all concerned about safety and we are concerned about our customers, at the end of the day, we also want to make sure that we're still hitting those revenue targets. Because if we don't hit those revenue targets, then 
you know, we don't really have a business at that point. Yeah. And I think classic lean thinking allows us to try to break down some of these things that might have been seen as trade-offs before. We can do things in a safe, high quality way that is also low cost or, or, or good exactly. for the bottom line. And exactly. you know, I think you know, automating a bad process is not the path. That's very true. In different dimensions. So you know, I want to explore a little bit like you know, the risk. So you know, I use the example of you know, automating a bad process in a laboratory. I think there are times where uh, a technology is appealing, if not trendy, and there's that trap of jumping to a solution right. or throwing technology at, at a problem. So, like, you know, to me, you know, within the context of lean, good A3 problem solving would lead us to if somebody says, well, oh, I, I hear RPA is trendy. I want to form a team. Let's go implement RPA. Um, I, I would try to call time out and say, wait a minute, let's go back and define clearly what, what is the current, what is the problem? What is the, the, what is the business need? What is the current state? And, you know, before jumping to the conclusion that a certain technology is the solution. And, and so I, I, I see you smiling. Uh, I think you're recognizing, you know, that thought process, of course, could you elaborate on, you know, how, how you might help guide somebody through avoiding jumping to a technology solution? Yeah. So um, if I, if I have a client that wants to do that, my first question is what's your, what's the goal that you're trying to achieve? Right. And so based on that goal, then they'll let me ask some questions. Um, so for example, I had a prospective client that I'm, I'm still working, things are put on hold, so we're still working through it a little bit. I understand. I said, what's the, what's the goal of implementing the technology of the, or the AI and they said they want to save cost and but also increase revenue because they think their throughput would be a lot faster okay that's that's a good that's a really good answer so my next question I always ask is uh, what processes do you have in place are your processes standard um, are you what are what is the number of defects you have? What's your cycle time? And so a lot of times I'll start to ask those very basic questions. I mean, it's just, it's just some of the basic things we ask when we start working with a, with a, with a client who wants to improve their processes. Once I start to ask those kind of questions, if they don't know those answers, then I said, okay, we need, let's time out. Let's get the answer to those questions. Cause then that way we can figure out, make sure that your goal is, is still on target. And that'll help us um, have our point A, right? Where are we starting? And then where we're going to end, that'll help us get to help us understand how far we really need to go. And then once we start, and then of course you go do a gimbal walk, um, do a cousin event and understand what are the processes, understand what's the root cause analysis, do some root cause analysis, look at the data and then come up with improvements. I always look at technologies is going to be the, it's going to be the last part of that improvement state of those improvement stages so usually we fix the process make sure it's got to be have standard work we have the training there people are in the right place and then we start looking at the technology and that's where we start doing just basic automation then rpa and then you add in the element of machine learning after that so it's just a cycle of continuous improvement Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I think if we take that time to do all of that work like that, I think at the end of the day, um, it's not as fast as someone might want to go, but it'll be faster than just throwing the technology and finding out that things are really broken. Yeah. So there, there's kind of you know the old it's a sort of a lean cliche of go slow to go fast. 
right? Yes. Where um, it's it's better to what I hear you saying is it's better to really be rigorous and you know make sure that we're setting up for the right solution rather than rushing into the right solution too quickly and then people get stubborn and and this is where you know psychology and, and human nature gets in the way of continuous improvement where in a lot of organizations people don't want to admit that they made a mistake you okay. know sometimes like going back to the you know the physical automation of laboratory processes it might have been a previous lab director who put in the automation well now the, the new director has the opportunity maybe to take it out um, yeah. because they're not so um, in, you know, they're not personally invested in rationalizing the past decision instead of really um, honestly evaluating. But, you know, it's a, uh, to me, it's that rigorous process like you were laying out of understanding the need and the current state and looking at alternatives that helps prevent technology mistakes. Exactly. And then we are talking about the human nature that I, I always like to also add on when I'm speaking to clients too is how on board is everybody in the organization? So not just the director or the VP is the president or the CEO really and the business owner really on board with this. And then what about the employees? Employees are actually doing the work. If they don't, if you don't have that buy-in at all levels, it's you're not that can, one continuous improvement is not gonna is not always gonna work. It's just for the example that you brought up. But then if your employees who are doing the work don't want to do that, then it, then it's going to fail because they're not going to do it. They're going to continue to do it in the old ways. So it's, it's, it's a continuous, I think with continuous improvement is change management, but then also learning. So it's all, it's an element at all levels in an organization yeah. to look at. Yeah. So other than, you know, sort of the technology aspect of machine learning and the opportunity for um, improvement and in, in some of this automation, how, how do you um, talk about, concerns where somebody might say, well, okay, you know, we could automate today's process, but then is there a risk that we become too rigid yes. In, yes. Um, afterwards? How, how would you talk through that kind of concern? Yeah. So with the, with rigidness, um, so a lot of times I've, I have seen in the past where an organization has become too lean because they've, they've completely leaned out the process, right? Lack of a better term. And then they implemented the technology, but say there's a shift in the marketplace or shift in product development or shift in what the customers want. Because if you think about a K&O model, right, that those, the needs of the customer is always changing. But then if you put in the market demands and the market shifts, um, what happens there is, is that when you become too rigid, you can't, you're not able to change fast enough. So that's where it, it, it's a it, it's a balancing system, I would say. Um, yes, you need to have as perfect as possible, but then you also need to be able to change with the times and be a little bit fluid there. So it's just mm -hmm. it's a balancing act, and I've seen organizations that have been able to do it very well. And if they can do that, and then it just it just also evolves into product lifecycle management. If you have if you're able to balance that as perfect as you can, because sometimes you just never know what's going to happen, like COVID. 19 just kind of, it really just hit us pretty fast right. and things change pretty fast. And so the businesses I think that did really well are, were able to balance, balance that. Some of the ones that were hurting weren't able to, weren't balancing things very well. Yeah. And, and, and I, that word balance is a word um, I use a lot. I think, you know, due to the influence of my mentors. Um, but yeah. And so, you know, during this COVID um, crisis, you know, the first wave, was manufacturers that were affected by yeah. shutdowns um, in China. 
And there were articles about uh, you know supply chains being quote unquote too lean. I'm like, well, they might not have had enough inventory, right? But you could ar- also argue then, like, well, how lean was it to have supply chains that were spread completely you know, exactly uh, around the world? Um, you know that. Yeah. So, um, or you know, if if people equate lean with um, standardization, and so well, we were too standardized. Like there are always these judgment calls. I think that leaders have to make? How do we find the right balance between, yeah, this ideal might be perfect one piece flow, just in time, zero inventory. Right. Um, but in, in reality, in the short term, there might be a need for balance of having some level of buffer, but not so much buffer that the organization never feels pressured to improve and, you know, you know reduce downtime and improve the reliability within the, um, the organization. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's kind of making me think about, like, you know, to me, lean is adaptability and um, continuous improvement. I, I don't think we can have too much of that. Exactly, exactly. And I think if we look at the true, at the true meaning of what lean is and how it started, right, that it was adaptability. It was developing our people. It was, okay, yes, we have machines, but then we still have people. How do we get the two to work together? And then, like you said, the just-in-time. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman um, here in Atlanta about the supply chain because Atlanta is a big supply chain area. And they were talking about how lean doesn't work in this type of situation. I'm like, yes, it does if you balance it right. Yeah. Or if lean is about developing people and continuously improving and engaging people, that applies in every setting. Exactly. Exactly. Big time. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you know, traditionally, I think when we were talking about, um, physical robots, you know, the one knock on physical robots or, you know, uh, Elon Musk maybe has learned a lesson where he was really trying to heavily automate um, model three assembly. And as, as he learned a little bit down the road, he kind of famously said, he probably tweeted this humans are underrated because (laughs) there, there were lessons learned about trying to automate jobs that were really, really difficult to automate and could be done um, safely and, you know, higher quality by people. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's this, this balance and and making sure, you know, maybe he fell into that trap of falling in love with technology and wanting to automate because it's cool or maybe he thought, well, I mean, ideally it would be better for the business, but you know, the challenge is getting from here to whatever you define as ideal. Like to me, I would, I would never define ideal as getting all of the people out of the process and fully automating everything. But each each leader is going to make their own judgment call about their business and where they think the uh, where they think the balance might be. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, the balance the balance is 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 in with the people and with and then adding mach- the machines on top of that. Um, a lot of times, like that's why I was talking about the culture earlier and the and the people. Um, if not, everyone's on board because, to be honest. A lot of times your your best ideas are coming from the people that are doing the work. And if they say, to, if, yeah, if I could just have something that would just do this for me, that's an indication to me, oh, wait, that can be automated. It, yeah. It's something that's manual. It's boring. They'd rather be doing something else, another part of the job. And it just and that's why it was um, when we reduced cycle, in the past when we were reducing cycle time without any of that. In technology and I remember leaders asked me well if I reduce the cycle time what are my people going to be doing I'm like your people going to be doing a lot more work than you really realize they're just instead of having overtime they maybe 
are able to work our standard nice normal eight hour day and then they get to go spend time with their family that makes them happy so it's that's the soft skills that um that some leaders need to take a look at as well there's that opportunity to talk about what's in it for me as yeah. um, right. individuals and um like you talk about you know not working overtime um you know one one of the the chief complaints um, from physicians um, is technology, uh, you know, electronic medical records, in some instances, making their job harder, or at least expanding the amount of time that it takes. Um, where, you know, I think, you know, there, there are complaints saying, well, some, you know, who, who works for who? It's almost like the doctor is working for the EMR, as opposed to the EMR being there for the benefit of, of the physician, which I think, you know, I think points to an opportunity um, to, to improve those technologies, you know, how much of it was um, making a bad process electronic and how much of it now is like looking at value versus waste just because things can be documented and the doctors um, or providers feel now or they are now required to enter certain information into um, the record, is that information really necessary or adding value? These are some of the debates and discussions people are having with technology and um, healthcare. Sometimes the techno technology and automation are not necessarily one in the same, I think is the point I was trying to. Uh, yeah, and that point you brought up about the necessary information, I think it's like that. It's not just in healthcare, I think it's, it's in a lot of the, a lot of different industries. Whereas the way we used to do it, we used to just always collect it. Do you really need to collect it going forward? And I think that goes hand in hand. Like if we could do an online check-in, just ask for the necessary information. Yeah. Get in, get out. <laughs> and, and, and there's there's that care. opportunity to challenge the way we've always done it. Let's yeah. just not automate the way we've always done it. Yeah, exactly. Definitely exactly. some good lessons there. Um, do, do you have any other examples? Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the risks or the downsides, but any um, success stories related to the combination of Lean and Six Sigma and some of these technologies? Yeah, so um, I worked with, yeah, I got a really good one. I got a, I worked with a organization to help with their talent acquisition, with their talent acquisition process. It's a big one I always like to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, success there is, um, it, it was taking anywhere from, I think, five to almost three weeks to post a job on a job board, like on their website or even on LinkedIn. Um, so they were losing their ideal client pool. So we fixed the processes and then um, added in different types of automation and different types of RPA throughout the process. Um, and once we did that, I mean, it took us, it took about a good three to four months to do all of that. So um, by the end of doing all that implementation, we were able to bring that whole process down, the cycle time down from, you know, say three weeks down to two days. So, yeah, um, especially, you know, at that point, the client pool was, was going pretty fast. And I would like to see, hope some that continues to go that way. Um, in addition to that, they didn't have to hire any additional workforce. So they didn't have to hire any additional recruiters, didn't have to hire any additional people to do, maybe do some manual, some manual um, data input. And then in addition to that, they were able to reposition um, some of the folks that some of the recruiters to do what they were hired to, to recruit instead of fighting fires between the system and the managers. 
there was also transparency between throughout the entire process. So there's some automated emails that were sent that this is where everything goes on along the way. In addition, so I know some HR folks would love this. We would they would send automated emails to the potential employee where they were at in the phase of the uh, of the uh, hiring process, because uh, I know that's usually a big black hole for for a lot of people. Right. And then, um, in addition, they were able to save around I think the first three months. I think it was around five hundred thousand dollars in savings. And then, if you add, and then a year later, it was probably close to 1.5 million mm. some really good success story there it's one of my favorites yeah well good well thank you for sharing that and um you know as i maybe as you know as we wrap up there's an opportunity um for, for you lauren to tell um the audience about your uh consulting practice um, lauren heisey consulting um and, and a little bit more about the types of organizations that you work with and and how people can reach out to you if they're interested in um, talking about these things with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I do con- coaching and consulting with uh, business leaders and our business owners. Um, usually, my I have worked with bigger corporations, and that's um, I've done some of those. I also have worked. I also do work with small and medium businesses. So, um, my I'm usually more on the service the service side of the business service businesses versus um, manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to um, I worked in operations and I also worked in, in the sales area. So trying to make sure there's a good linkage between those two. So that's usually who I work with and how to contact me. You can find me on LinkedIn or um, just visit my website, laurenheiseconsulting.com. And uh, there's a connect contact me there option as well. So we'll make sure that link is in um, the show notes and, um, uh, make sure people, laurenheiseconsulting.com. And then um, also on, on LinkedIn, you're probably the, the only Lauren Heise there. I believe so. Okay. It's <laughs> good when you've, when you've got a, a unique enough name. Mark Graven is in that same category. If people can spell it, right? Right, exactly. H I S E Y. Lauren Heise. So, um, Lauren, um, uh, Thank you for uh, being a guest and, and sort of, you know, kind of pushing, um, or, you know, some of our boundaries maybe about thinking about technology. I think sometimes people, you know, get, get hung up on the idea that technology is bad, but I think it's all, you know, because I think there's this traditional, I, even, even outdated thinking in ways where some people say, look, you know, ooh, look at Toyota and they, well, Toyota uses technology exactly. in, in different ways. And, and um, I think we can combine technology in a way that is um, supportive of people, respective of, of people, and engaging. You know, if you look at the Toyota, I'm sorry, I'm climbing on the soapbox here. I didn't mean to. Um, yeah, I did. But um, if you look at the Toyota Way principles, when they talk about, you know, using, um, you know, uh, proven, tested technologies that support your people in your process. It seems like that would apply to AI, RPA, machine learning, any of these technologies. So maybe I'll give you the last word on that. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I think people don't need to be so scared of it. I think, um, think of it as this way. It's going to make, it makes lives better. It'll make your work life better. And um, and if you're working crazy hours right now in a job, it could actually make your life a little bit better, a little bit easier. So you can get out of work a lot easier, a lot faster. 
can spend time with family. That's always my, that's always been my end game. Spend, telling people you can spend time with your, fa- with your family and then that lights them up. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So um, Lauren, thank you. Thank you again for, uh, for being here and um, certainly wish you all the best. All right. Thanks for having me, Mark. Sure thing. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.